to bear fruit. Uh, we asked the question when we kicked off last week, why are you alive? Why do you exist? And the way that we generally answer that question is that we all exist to bring glory to God. You are alive so that God would receive glory by your life. But what Jesus does in this passage is he connects even more dots for us. Because it's a tough question to answer when we say, how exactly do you glorify God? What do you need to do in your life to bring glory to God? And the answer to that question is found in this passage. Namely, that we glorify God by bearing fruit. It's a term that's a picture to bear fruit. It's, 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 it's referring to a vineyard in which there are vines with branches off of them, and those branches are producing grapes. And the more healthy the fruit on that branch, the healthier we know that that branch is, because the proof that a branch is healthy is whether or not it bears fruit. Well, Jesus is going to connect those dots for us, that you are a branch, and that you are to be bearing fruit the bearing of fruit is something that Jesus defines as is essentially good works in the life of a believer. And that those good works testify to the fact that you are a child of God. Those works, then, are the reason that you were created. You were created to bring glory to God. And the way that you do that is what Jesus says in this passage, by bearing fruit. Let's read through it together. John 15, verses 1, all the way down through verse 10. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I can just bring you up to speed briefly on what we covered last week. Jesus kicks off this section by pointing out two individuals. They're, they're, they're manifested in a picture. First, Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, for the first few verses, the Father as the vine dresser takes the central scene in which he's labeled as the one who gives gravity to the rest of this passage. The reason that this passage is so important is because the Father 
is the vine dresser. Now, the vine dresser is, is, is like a, a gardener, the person that took care of the vines in the vineyard. And what the vine dresser does specifically in this passage, Jesus points out that God the Father has two roles. First of all, he's the one who punishes. He's the one who punishes. If there's a vine that is not bearing fruit, the Father will punish him. But also, the Father is the one who prunes. Jesus says in verse 2 that every branch that bears fruit, he, the vine dresser, the Father, prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So with the knowledge that the Father is the vine dresser and that Jesus is the vine and that the Father is going to either punish or prune all of the branches, Jesus gives us the essential information that we need and he begins to draw a more complete picture. What's up on the screen now is a picture of what Jesus would have been referencing in his mind or possibly actually there may have been a vine before them as they were traveling from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane in this scene. Certainly, in, in this context, in this culture, they would have passed multiple vineyards. So it's probably with Jesus laying eyes on a vineyard, specifically on a, on a vine with healthy and unhealthy branches, that Jesus describes this picture. He says, I am the vine. The vine is the, the central strand, and on that central strand, there's all sorts of branches hanging off of it. In this image on the screen, this would be the branch. So as, as Jesus starts to describe this picture and he starts to put different descriptions on all the pieces in this image, he first tells us that God the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. The branches that he describes is anyone who claims Christ. And that's a really important definition. The branches are, are not accurately described as believers. That's a, that's a misunderstanding of what the branches are in this passage. The branches are not anyone who is a true follower of Christ. They're anyone who claims Christ. Because what Jesus is going to indicate in this image is that there are branches that are not actually tied to the vine. And that there are branches that are true followers who are receiving life from the vine and thus bearing fruit. The fruit that he talks about are good works in the life of a true believer. The fruit that he speaks of are good works in the life of a believer. So, this is the image that Jesus is painting. And these are the fundamental important terms that he's describing. This is, this is imagery. This is an illustration. And as we talked last week, it's important not to take this illustration any further than Jesus takes it. He uses this picture, and he describes what we need to know. Like it's a, it's a misunderstanding to ask the question, okay, who exactly is the dirt in which this vine is growing out of? Who is the, who, what, what or who is the trellis on which the vine stands? That's a, that's a, that's a bad question, because Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus tells us everything that we need to know in this image, and this is what he tells us. The vine dresser is God, and because he will prune or punish what matters is that Jesus is the vine. And all the branches that will either be pruned or punished by the Father must abide in the vine. If they do that, then they will bear fruit. If they are actually abiding in the vine, if they are dwelling, living in Christ, then they will bear much fruit. So last week, as we kicked off this, this outline, how we've set this up is six reminders for bearing fruit. 
If that's why we were created, and if this is the central message that Jesus has for us, then there's six reminders that he would have us to know. The first one is that you need Jesus. If you are to bear fruit, you must have Jesus. Said another way, you cannot bear fruit without Jesus. You cannot bear good fruit without Jesus. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to bear fruit, you cannot do so without Jesus. It's impossible. There may be acts in your life that resemble that of a true believer. But what Jesus describes as the mark of a believer is that he bears much good fruit. You cannot do that without Jesus. You need Jesus. We covered that last week. If you want to hear more details about that, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to that sermon. Second reminder for bearing fruit, the second reminder for bearing fruit is that eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. This is shown in verse 6. Look at the repercussions of what happens for someone who does not bear fruit. Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This verse and this point answers the question, what happens to someone who is a branch, they claim Christ, but they don't actually bear fruit? There's no fruit in their life testifying to the fact that they are actually a branch that is abiding in the vine. What happens to that person? Jesus says that that person has a singular destiny, and that is to be burned. Like a branch that's thrown into the fire, that person will be destroyed. Jesus describes a a vivid image. He says the branch is thrown away. It's, It's thrown out of the vineyard. It dries up. And then someone else comes and they gather up those branches and they cast all of those branches into the fire and those branches are burned. Now, Again, I don't want to take this illustration any farther than Jesus does. I I don't think that all of those things that he just described, the throwing away and the the drying up and the gathering them and throwing into the fire and burned is like this, this necessary progressive stage of what happens in the life of an unbeliever. I think Jesus is just showing the message. He's using vineyard terminology here for what happens to a branch that's not bearing fruit. And he says it's taken and it's destroyed. And that is the destiny of someone who claims Christ but doesn't bear fruit. Their destiny is to be burned. I believe that based on the terminology that Jesus is using here, he's referencing the fact that even if someone claims Christ, if they do not bear fruit, they will spend eternity in hell. It doesn't matter who you say you follow. 
Jesus says, if there's not much good fruit, then you are not abiding in the vine. And if you're not abiding in the vine, then your destiny is eternal punishment. That is all that is for the bad branches in this picture. There is so much at stake on whether or not you are bearing fruit. If you are not bearing fruit, then you are headed for hell. That, that, that's the rule that Jesus sets here. If you are not bearing fruit, you will be in hell for all of eternity. If I can rephrase that and say that another way, there will be no one in heaven. There will be no one in heaven who did not bear much fruit on earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Everyone in heaven will be able to look back on their life and point to fruit Much good fruit. Because if there is not much good fruit, then the indication is that that person did not actually abide in the vine. Now, it's easy to hear all of that and start to jump into a salvation that is based on whether or not you bear fruit. And one of, there's a really fine line of terminology that we need to use here. You are not saved by your fruit. You're not. Your fruit, the good works that take place in the life of a believer, do not save you. Those works affirm that you are saved. It's almost like this this, this wedding ring that I'm wearing. This ring does not make me married. Okay, If I give Kyle my ring, he does not instantly become married. That would be weird. This ring affirms that it's it's a sign. It points to the fact that I'm married. Your works testify to the fact that you are abiding in the vine. They testify to the fact that you are a true child of God. So much so that we can say there will be no one in heaven who is not characterized by many good works. Those works don't save you. But everyone who is saved will be defined by them. And so Jesus can say, if there is not much good fruit in your life, then you are destined for hell. That is where you are headed. There is so much at stake. It's not a truth to be taken lightly. If you're not producing fruit, you're not abiding in the vine. And if you're not abiding in the vine, Jesus, you're not saved. Eternity is at stake. That's a heavy truth. One that we need to keep fresh on our minds at all times. There's so much encouragement in this passage to help us along in our life as we seek to bear fruit. Namely, this this third point that we need to be aware of is that Jesus will help you. The third reminder for bearing fruit is that Jesus will help you. 
Jesus says this in verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a fascinating statement by Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We've seen a statement very similar to that in recent history. Turn over a page back to John chapter 14 and look at verses 12 through 14. Jesus said here, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, look at this, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now when we looked at that passage, we understood that Jesus is not giving you a license of materialism. To have whatever you want as long as you attach Jesus' name to it. That passage is found in a context in which Jesus is saying that you have the ability to further Christ's gospel work. To continue what Christ began on the cross. And so when Jesus says, ask anything in my name, it's within that context that he's going to give you everything that you need to accomplish that goal of furthering Christ's work. Back to John 15, it's the same call in a different context. Jesus is saying, abide in me, abide in me, live in me, dwell in me, remain in me, continue in me. You need me. I am the vine. Eternity is at stake. But here's what you need to know. As you're seeking to live for me and to bear fruit and to abide in me, what you need to know is that if you ask me for anything, I'm going to give it to you. Jesus will give you everything that you need to abide in him. So easy to feel like in the midst of the Christian life as you're seeking to bear fruit and trying to live for Christ. That it's like, it's like you're, you're alone and it's tough and it's a battle and it's a struggle. There's absolutely a sense in which... Some of those things may be true, but Jesus is saying, here, ask me. Ask me and I'll help you. My will for you is that you would be sanctified. I want to help you. I want to see you grow. So ask me. There's, there's never a scene in which we would say, Christ, give me the strength I need to resist this temptation. And Jesus would say, no. Nope, I'm not going to give you that strength. Jesus will give you whatever you need to bear fruit. He will give you all that you need to resist temptation. All that you need to glorify Him. So ask Him for it. This should be a, uh, should be a daily prayer in the life of a believer. You, you should be praying this every single day. God, I... Need your help. To bear fruit for you, I need your help. I cannot do this alone. How often do you pray that prayer? Asking God to help you as you seek to live a life that's glorifying to Him. How often do you do that? It was one of the central things that Jesus commanded his disciples to be praying for. He says, ask God to keep you far from temptation. Ask him to deliver you from evil. It should be a daily life in the prayer of every believer. Ask him for what you need to abide in him, to bear fruit. 
He will give it to you. There's more reminders that we need to be aware of. Number four, the fourth reminder for bearing fruit is that fruit reveals your discipleship. Fruit reveals your discipleship. So Jesus says in verse 8, My Father is glorified by this. What brings glory to the Father? What is God glorified by? Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So, we live to bring glory to God. What is it in our lives that brings glory to God? Jesus answers that question. Bearing much fruit brings glory to God. We referenced Ephesians chapter 2 last week. Don't turn there. Let me read this for you. uh, Paul drives home the same message when he says, We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. You were created to bring glory to God. And you do that by bearing much fruit. Based on the implication of this verse, every believer... Every true follower of Christ brings glory to God. Every single one. Every believer is someone who will bring glory to God. Here's why. Read the second half of verse 8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you glorify God by bearing much fruit, and that, that much fruit proves that you are Jesus' disciple. Your fruit is the proof that you are a true follower of Christ. So, in other words, if you were to say, I am a Christian, you would make that proclamation, I am a true follower of Christ, and someone came up to you and said, prove it. Prove to me that you are a true follower of Christ. How would you do that? How would you prove to someone that you are a follower of Christ? Like this is the kind of terminology that happens on on the playground in elementary school. When when the one kid's like, I can run faster than you. And the other guy's like, all right, let's race right now. Let's do this. And then you remember this kid. The kid that's like, ah, my stomach hurts. I I, I don't feel like it. I don't want to race right now. Right? That's the kid that's like making the claim but has no ability to prove it, no ability to back it up. Because a race would indicate who's faster, right? So how then, if someone says, prove it, prove to me that you're a follower of Christ, prove to me that you're a disciple, what Jesus says in this passage is the way that you prove that is by your fruit. By your fruit. We prove, we reveal our discipleship. Our discipleship. Okay, so this this begins quickly to get cumbersome, 
heavy and, and difficult. And, and if you're like me, as we're studying this passage, there's like this weight of the need to bear fruit in your life. And that's a good weight to feel. Because eternity is at stake. But Jesus, Jesus leaves encouraging notes for his disciples along the way. One of those is, is this fifth reminder. This fifth reminder for bearing fruit is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It's almost as if he recognizes the, the, the overwhelming burden of all that he's calling his disciples to do. And so he says this in verses 9 and 10. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Stop there for just a minute. Jesus tells his disciples in the midst of all that he's calling them to do and reminding them that they must bear fruit. He says, remember that I love you. How much does Jesus love us? He tells us how much Jesus loves us in this verse. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. That, that term, that is comparative terminology there. Jesus is saying, my love for you is as the Father's love for me. How much does the Father love Jesus? Infinitely, perfectly, more than we could ever begin to comprehend is the Father's love for Jesus. Jesus says this to his disciples, in the midst of all that he's calling him to, remember that my love for you is as the Father's love is for me. It is infinite and it is perfect and it is more than you could ever begin to comprehend. And so he gives them a command at the end of verse 9, abide in my love. Live and dwell and remain and continue in my love. Remember my love. Do not leave my love. So the branch must abide in the vine. You abide in Jesus. You abide in his love. And just like a branch draws its life blood from the vine. You draw that, that necessary lifeblood from abiding in Jesus, abiding in his love, relishing and dwelling in the love of Christ. Keep those thoughts fresh on your mind at all times, that Jesus loves you. He loves you with an infinite and a perfect love. So we must abide in his love. How do we do that? It's answered in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, how do we abide in Jesus' love? Simple. You keep his commandments. You keep his commandments and you are abiding in his love. You are abiding in him. Brings us to our last reminder, number six. Number six. Fruit brings. 
again, an encouraging reminder in the midst of the weight of all that Jesus is calling his disciples to. It's easy to think in the midst of this to, to even maybe get discouraged, to see like Christianity is this list of boring tasks of bearing fruit that we have to complete to get to heaven. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He looks to his disciples and he says, if you abide in me. If you abide in my love, if, if you remain in the vine, you will have joy. You will have a joy that this world cannot begin to comprehend because true joy is found in abiding in the vine. The temptation is absolutely otherwise. To think that true joy is found in enjoying this world and and not bearing fruit for Christ, but in living this life however we may see fit, doing whatever seems most pleasing to us at the time. And what Jesus says is, no, if you bear much fruit, all of that will bring you joy. My joy, Jesus' joy, will be in you. And your joy, your personal joy, will will be maximized. It'll be made full. You will have ultimate joy. If your life is bearing fruit. So we read this passage and we are called to evaluate ourselves. And to say, is there fruit? Is there that in my life that is testifying to the fact that I am plugged into the vine? That I am remaining and dwelling and continuing in the vine? If you look at your life and you don't see that, Jesus' indication here is be careful. Be careful. If you look at your life and you have a hard time identifying fruit, I'd call you to observe what Jesus says defines his true followers. It's not fruit here and there. It's much good fruit. It proves your discipleship. It reveals who's truly a follower. Because if it's not there, eternity is a stake.